Second Chronicles 29, verse 31. Here's what it says. Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. So the assembly brought in sacrifices and thank offerings, and as many as were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. So what we looked at last week is that Hezekiah comes onto the scene. He's the new king now in the southern kingdom of Judah. And Hezekiah comes in and he's inheriting a, a, a nation, a, a, a people that has just been decimated by rebellion against God. His father, King Ahaz, was the king before him. And King Ahaz just really led people away from the Lord. In fact, King Ahaz had closed the doors of the temple. He had had the, the priesthood just removed. And so there weren't sacrifices coming in there wasn't the worship of god happening in the temple there were you know um pagan uh pagan altars that were brought around the land and so ahaz had just really led people away from the lord and and they were feeling the effects of this this wasn't a good time but hezekiah comes onto the scene now and he's looking to restore all these things we saw in the beginning of chapter 29 that he opened the doors of the temple they sought to cleanse it from all the junk that ahaz had brought in and he's bringing worship to restoration again and the focus of the Lord or the focus of the people back on the Lord. This was good days happening under Hezekiah's reign. And now we see them showing this devotion unto the Lord by bringing and dedicating these sacrifices and thank offerings. Plus, they're bringing these voluntary offerings. Because notice what it says there, as many as of were a willing heart. I love that. As many as were of a willing heart. And you see, this is really what God desires from us as we come lifting up praise and offering of, of worship or our gifts, our talents, whatever it is, that we do these things on a willing or with a willing heart. God's not interested in us, you know, kind of having this obligation mentality like this, you know, we do these things begrudgingly like, oh, well, you know, I guess I better do this because... You know, that's what I'm supposed to do. And people are going to think otherwise of me if I don't. And so, okay. I'll, you know, sometimes it's easy to fall into that trap. But you see, God loves us when we come and we do these things willingly. And we offer up to the Lord. Not because we have to, but because we get to. And this is not what we heard last yesterday in our men's breakfast, right? Pastor Randy shared a great word on just this focus of not having to, but getting to. It tells us in Second Corinthians 9, 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves the what? Cheerful giver. Cheerful giver, just, just in other words, that you're coming and you're giving these things unto the Lord, not out of a have to, but just voluntarily, just willingly, just cheerfully, Lord, thank you for what you've done in my life. And when we begin to look at and consider all that God has indeed done for us, we should be more than willing to give him our all. It says in Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do you hear that? It's, your, it's reasonable. God's not asking anything above and beyond us that is like, Lord, that's, that's a lot to ask. Lord, that's really heavy. God's saying, no, just present yourselves as a, a sacrifice worshiping me it's your reasonable service in light of all that god has done for us this is our reasonable service and so god's not interested in you doing anything out of a feeling of 
you know, I need to do this. I'm, uh, I, I'm begrudgingly doing this or I'm, I'm obligated to do this. He's desiring a heart that's full of thanks and praise and willingly doing these things. And these guys, now, as we see in Second Chronicles 29, that they were more than willing to give to God an abundance of an offering. Notice what we read there in verse 32. And the number of the burnt offerings which the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, and 200, much also like our men's breakfast yesterday. Very, very good. But all these were for a burnt offering to the Lord. The consecrated things were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep. You know, you might look at that and go, oh man, that's pretty, that's pretty huge. That's pretty extravagant. Why such a, an amount? But yet, you know what? Uh, I think God, again, not just loves a cheerful giver, but but just giving out of that that extravagance and sacrifice remember mary that comes to jesus and she pours this expensive you know oil upon jesus and she gave out of this a uh, uh, you know extravagant gift and the disciples you know judas is like hey we could have used that money for other things you know he's thinking mainly for himself but could he use that money for other things and yet the lord says no this is going to be spoken of in 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 honor of what she's done unto me understand something we're never going to outgive what God has already given to us. Now we're going to be blessed as we give to the Lord. Verse 34, but the priests, they were too few so that they could not skin all the burnt offerings. Therefore, their brethren, the Levites, helped them until the work was ended and until the other priests had sanctified themselves. For the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the priests. Now, like I said already, remember that Ahaz, King Ahaz, before Hezekiah, he had dismissed all the priests, and so there wasn't an active kind of order of worship and sacrifice and service going on in the temple. They've been pretty decimated under King Ahaz's reign. So they're really short-handed right now as these offerings are coming in and keeping up with the preparation of all these offerings and sacrifices to give Unto God, so we read there that the Levites stepped in and helped out the priests in performing their duties. Now, the Levites were able to step in because it says they had been more diligent in sanctifying themselves. Sanctifying simply means consecrating, setting yourself apart for the work of the Lord, and that was a bit of a process indeed to kind of prepare yourself, sanctify yourself to serve in the temple. That was a bit of a process that would take place, but they had not been dragging their feet in getting ready. They've been diligent in being in that place where they're ready to launch out into service for the Lord. How do we do in that area of diligently giving ourselves to the things of God? Are we, are we diligently living a life prepared just to be used to the Lord as he taps us on the shoulder, as he directs us, as he calls us somewhere? It says in First Peter, or sorry, Second Peter 1 verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. To make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Second Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Are we living diligent lives where we're saying, Lord, here, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to be used to you. I'm ready to serve you. I'm not, you know, having to get tapped on the shoulder and be like, oh, Lord, oh, wait, let me get ready here. Let me, I got to spend some time in prayer. I got to get in your word because, man, I, I wasn't expecting you to direct me or call me here. Or are we diligently in that place saying, Lord, I'm, I'm ready. Man, I've been spending time focused on you, being in your word and in prayer, and I, I'm just ready, God, to be used of you. The Levites here were doing just that. Verse 35 
Also, the burnt offerings were in abundance with the fat of the peace offerings and with the drink offerings for every burnt offering. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. So this whole process of really cleansing the temple, they started inside the temple, removing things, adding the worship, uh, cleansing the outside area. It took a total of 16 days, all right? Not, not long. As we read there, these events took place so suddenly. It, this was a quick turnaround, understand, all right? I mean, I'm sure they looked at where things were at thinking, oh man, we're going to be here a long time. But it was a quick turnaround. These things happened suddenly. And the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people to do all this. Understand something. I, I, I love this. You know, the encouragement to us here is that no matter how, you know, bad your situation might look, no matter how much things might seem in shambles, God is able to turn things around suddenly as we look to him and we begin to act by faith in what he's able to do and wanting to do. This didn't take long. This was a quick turnaround. And you might be sitting with a situation in your life thinking, how am I ever going to get past this? How am I ever going to get beyond this? How is this ever going to get cleansed or cleaned up or taken care of? Man, as we look to the Lord, as we lean on the Lord and say, God, would you do this work? He's able to do things in a heartbeat, in a second, what we might think is going to take a lot longer. God is able to turn things around. These things happened suddenly. What a good encouragement for us. Well, moving into chapter 30, we continue to see Hezekiah bringing in the reform there now in, in Judah and really including many people to be a part of this as they look now to once again institute and, 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 and remember the Passover feast, all right? So chapter 30, verse one says, and Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. For the king and his leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at the regular time because a sufficient number of the priests had not consecrated themselves, nor had the people gathered together at Jerusalem. And the matter pleased the king and all the assembly. Now, remember here, right? The, um, Hezekiah is seeing all these things that, uh, that have been taking place. And he's recognizing now, not only are we going to bring the restoration uh, of worship in the temple, but we want to begin to follow these things that God has kind of established for us to follow. And so what he does is he sends out an invite now to everybody throughout the land, even to those who view Judah as their enemies. Remember, there's a division right now in the whole you know, nation of Israel. There's the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, the southern kingdom, the two tribes there uh, of Judah. And there's, you know, dispute. There's, there's kind of division going on here. But yet Hezekiah says, I want everybody to be a part of this. I want to send that invite to all people. Hezekiah is a great example to us of having a desire to spread the joy and good news to all people without prejudice. He's not looking at anybody and thinking, ah, oh, no, nah, they really you know, really don't fit. No, they don't really belong. No, they don't really deserve to this. Hezekiah's going, I want everybody to be a part of this. He's being very big-hearted and open-hearted in simply wanting others to experience the goodness of God. Do we act that way? That should be our heart's desire as well. To say, everybody 
that I have contact with, man, I want to have an open heart towards them to say, I want to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to them. I want, to, I want them to be able to hear the gospel, you know, through my life. I don't want to be holding back. I don't want to be judging anybody. I don't want to be trying to figure out who needs to hear this because everybody needs to hear this and everybody needs to be a part of this. So Hezekiah is doing just that, sending people out so that the word can go forth throughout all the land. That's so good. So verse five, this is their resolve to make a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba to Dan. That means from the far north to the far south, every part in between, all around now, that they should come to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem since they had not done it for a long time in a prescribed manner. So, like we read here, all of Israel, every single person basically, is invited down to Jerusalem to the temple so that they could participate in observing and following and keeping the Passover. And sadly, it hasn't been done in a long time. Now, the Passover was one of three major feasts that all the Jewish males were required to observe annually. All right? Uh, Feast of Pentecost and Tabernacles and Passover. These were the ones that they were to observe each year, but they hadn't been doing it for a while. The nation has been in spiritual decline, right? People haven't been doing these things. They've been forsaking, they've they forsaken the Lord. But the Passover feast was an important one because the Passover was remembering their time in Egypt when they were under, you know, just the, the heavy bondage there of the Egyptians. And God was seeking to draw them back out of Jerusalem and bring them, in, or back out of Egypt, bring them into their own land, right? And Pharaoh wasn't letting them go. So God says, well, I'm going to, you know, bring that, that plague of the firstborn upon them. But if you will take in that lamb, you'll sacrifice the lamb, place the blood of the doorpost or the blood upon the doorpost of your home, then you'll be passed over. You'll be spared. And that will be the thing that will cause Pharaoh to finally release the Hebrew people out of Egypt. And so this is what they were to remember annually is that God delivered them. God spared them. God brought them out and brought them into their own land. This was all by the work of God. Deliverance from bondage. This is what they were to do. But yet they began to kind of forsake that. They began to put it aside. They began just to become complacent in their own lives and failed to see that they wouldn't be there apart from the Lord. What a sad thing. That would be very, very similar to us as a church. Saying, oh, we're no longer taking communion. Ah, communion, that's just, nah. Passe is kind of old. It's not really important. We're just not going to take communion any longer. Because communion, what we do in communion as a church, when we come to the Lord's table, is we are remembering our very deliverance from the bondage of sin. What we do is we're remembering the work that Jesus did on the cross to save us, to spare us, and deliver us out from the grip of this world and of sin, and to set us free and given us new life in him. That's what communion is all about. And we, we do that on a, on a regular basis. Like Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We do it to say, Lord, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. I wouldn't have life if it wasn't for you. I, there'd be no way I could be forgiven of my sin from the very thing that separates me from you, God. It's all because of Jesus and the work he did on the cross. That's why we take communion. Communion is not some kind of liturgical thing. It's not some church tradition. It's not some religious ritual. We do this because of the very life that Jesus has given us and secured for us. And that's what Passover was speaking of for them. And yet, 
they had neglected it. But yet everybody's getting invited now to say, we need to remember this. We need to remember what God has done for us and that we wouldn't be here without him. Look at verse six. It says, then the runners went through it all Israel and Judah with the letters from the king and his leaders and spoke according to the command of the king. Children of Israel, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel. Then he will return to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. And do not be like your fathers and your brethren who trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers so that he gave them up to desolation as you see. Now, do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever and serve the Lord your God that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. Verse nine, for if you return to the Lord, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who lead them captive so that they may come back to this land for the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. So what do we see there in verse six? These runners went through it all, the, all of Israel and all of Judah. Runners, they're just going out. They're, they're the ones that are bringing this good news to come back and let's celebrate what God has done for us. They come, they bring a great message of reconciliation. You know, the Bible says in Romans 10, the second part of verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And these people are doing just that. They are running through the land. How beautiful are the feet. And this was no easy feat, let me tell you. That's, that's, not a, that's a pun intended, yes. But it was no easy feat because this is a lot of land to cover. And some of them might have been thinking, are you kidding me? Go out through all the land? That's, that's going to be impossible. Sometimes we can have that mentality. You want me to do what, Lord? How's that going to work? You want me to do this? And yet, no doubt the Lord's strengthening them. And no doubt these people having great pleasure and joy and blessing in inviting people into what God had for them. You know, I think that's the way it is for us oftentimes. We can make a lot of excuses not to be those people, those runners who are bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to people. We can come up with a lot of excuses, but I know as we do, we are so blessed and encouraged as we get to share with people Jesus Christ and the work he's done for them bringing them into the awareness of who God is. And again, these guys are bringing a great word that everyone needed to hear. And we need to be reminded of this today as well because it says there, return to the Lord your God, then he'll return to the remnant of you. That's what they're, they're telling the people to do. Return to the Lord. Right there in verse, verse six, return to the Lord. And he'll return to the remnant of you. You know, there's always a reciprocal blessing as we turn to the Lord or as we seek the Lord. There's always a reciprocal blessing in that for us because the moment that we turn our hearts, our gaze, our focus to the Lord, guess what? He's right there to meet us. He's right there to pour out of his goodness and his blessing to us. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, And you will seek me and find me when? Well, when you search for me with all your heart. It's, it's a promise for us. You will find me when you search for me with all your heart. James 4, 8, draw near to God. And guess what? He's going to draw near to you. God doesn't play hard to get. God's not having you jump through the hoops and try to find the right kind of clues or, or, or you know, riddles to try to meet with God. He's like, man, just turn to me. 
Come to me. You're going to find me. I'm, he's as desiring to spend time with us as we are with him. In fact, more so as he desiring to spend time with us. And he's waiting for us just to come and yield to him. He doesn't force himself upon us. He's waiting for willing hearts. But there's a great blessing there for us. As we turn to him, he will indeed turn to us and you will begin to see his goodness. I love what we read in Second Chronicles 16 verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God's looking for those people that just have a loyal heart to him, that are just surrendered to him so that he can show himself strong too. Oh, and I'll tell you, I need that. I desire that. I want the Lord to show himself strong. And you know that's not something I need to drum up, I need to work on. I just need to have a heart that's yielded to him, looking to him. Turn your hearts towards the Lord and you'll discover and find the glories of God. It also says there in verse 7, as we read already, do not be like your fathers and your brethren who trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers so that he gave them up to desolation as you see. You know, there's just no good in store for those who choose to go against God's ways. You know, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to mess up. We're going to trip and fall, I'm sure, at times. But you see, a trespass, as is mentioned there in verse 7, a trespass is where you willfully choose to ignore the clear sign before you, the clear instruction that God has already given you, and you willfully choose to do that. Whether it's a sign that might say, you know, stay out, or, or no parking, we know there's consequences, or washroom out of order, we know there's consequences if we disobey those signs, right? It's not good. And, and God has, has, in the same way, made things very clear for us through his word. He says there's, there's blessing in life when you obey. But not so much when you choose to disobey. Here the people trespassed and they were given up to desolation. Just as God said would happen, he warned them already of that. But notice how that passage ends in verse 9. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. I love this. I want you guys to catch this here today because no matter what you may have done, no matter how far you may have fallen, you are never too far from the grace of God. You're never too far from the Lord receiving you back. There are those that sadly have the idea that God can't accept them or, or forgive them because they've just done too much. They have sinned too hard. They've burned their bridges with God and they feel they can no longer be received by him. There's just no hope for them any longer. There are those that think that, believe that. But they've not been in the word of God and they don't know the God of the word because God says right here that he's gracious and merciful and he will not turn his face from you. He will not refuse you. He will not push you aside when you look to him, when you call out to him. When you come with a repentant heart, he will not reject you. I pray that brings comfort for many of you here today. Verse 12 goes on to say this. So the runners passed from city to city uh, throughout the country of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but they laughed at them and mocked them. Nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Also, the hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart to obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. So as these runners you know, went from city to city, there were those that mocked and, and, and ridiculed them. It's a sad scenario that often gets played out today, right? We seek to offer people something that's going to lead 
them out of captivity from sin and into abundant life through Jesus Christ, and yet they mock and scorn. And that's the grip of the enemy that has blinded them and deceived them from the truth. And we're going to pray for people to be set free from the enemy and have hearts open to receive the good news. But don't let that discourage you. Because it's been happening all through history. People rejecting the word of the Lord. We, we have sometimes saying, oh, that's because of me. Oh, I'm the failure here. And we allow, you know, our own self to get in the way of spreading the good news. Understand that there will be people that will reject you, but they're rejecting the Lord more so. Don't let those things discourage you from continuing to share the gospel because, I mean, you could have 100 people just ridiculing, mocking you, but you have one person that just opens their heart to the things of the Lord and you'll see it'll all be worth it. There's no greater joy than to see somebody come out from the blinders and be pulled from darkness into the Lord's light and love and grace and be forgiven and find life in him. There's no greater joy than being a part of that. And notice what we see here. There were indeed those, verse 11, that humbled themselves. We just never know who might be ready to to yield, to surrender to the gospel, to give their lives to the Lord. That's why we need to take every opportunity to share the gospel with others. And it's so important for us as well to be those walking with a humble heart. To maintain that humility before the Lord. To recognize that we don't deserve anything. It's all by God's grace. I need to continue to cling to the Lord. I can't do it on my own. I need the Lord. And that's why we need that humble heart. Because now we can all be those that struggle with pride. Pride affects all kinds of people. In fact, I even read about a preacher who prepared a sermon on humility but then fouled away because he wanted to wait and save it for a time when he could really impress people with it. And so pride can easily affect all kinds of people. All right, verse 13. Now, many people, verse 13, a very great assembly gathered at Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month. They arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and they took away all the incense altars and cast them into the brook Kidron. Then they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the second month, the priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought the burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. Now, this is an interesting situation going on. Many people came and they gathered together Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which came a day after Passover. And oftentimes, these two celebrations were just kind of, you know, identified as, as one thing. But this great assembly is taking great action and just purifying things and carrying all the ceremonial duties of the Passover. They did this to the shame, it says, of the priests and the Levites in verse 15. They all came and they just they were just getting right into it. We're going to follow through. We're going to observe all these things. And they did it to the shame of the priests and the Levites. Now, why were the priests and Levites ashamed at what was happening? Because they realized they weren't more diligent in sanctifying themselves to serve and carry out their responsibilities during the Passover. They saw all the people just going for it, despite them even not being clean, ceremonially clean. And the priests and Levites are thinking, oh my goodness, look at these guys go. They're just giving it. And we're, we're holding back, thinking, oh, we need to take care of this, we need to do that. They weren't ready, you see. And as I read this, I'm reminded of a verse in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25, that says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up 
love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This is what was happening here in Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites are kind of being stirred up, being provoked to good works, recognizing, and how come we're not doing more? How come we're not doing what these people are doing? They're not even priests and Levites, they're not even cleansing, yet they're just, they're just coming with, with a heart just to worship God. Why aren't we doing more? And this is the great thing about gathering together, you see, is that we get to encourage one another on in the things of the Lord, right? That idea of stirring up, one another, it's, that, it's that word that you know, literally means to provoke one another, right? How many people had siblings that would provoke you, Right? How many were the siblings that provoked other people? Okay, there you go. Yeah, thank you for honesty. But you see, man, it's like, hey, I dare you to go climb that tree. Or I dare you to jump off the deck, right? You you all know what that's like, right? And there's that provoking going on. Well, in a sense, maybe not daring one another at church, but we are encouraging one another, right? Like what, you know, how many people were on a mission trip was asked by Gordon today, right? I would never, you know, call everybody out because some of you are sitting there going, how come I've never been on a mission trip? Everybody, look at all these people been on a mission trip. I've never been on a mission trip. But what that does is it stirs you up to start thinking, maybe I should do that. If all these people can do it, then I should do it too. And I can do it. Let's, when's the next mission trip? I'm going. That's what we get to do as we come together. We get to share with one another. Hey, you know what? And I was reading God's word this week and oh man, the Lord's really speaking to me. And you're sitting there going, man, I better get in the word a little bit more. I've not had the Lord speaking to me that way this week. And, and we just, Start to provoke or stir up. We're not trying to make people feel ashamed. That's never our goal. But like these people, they're being stirred up because everybody else was taking part in the work. And they're wondering, why aren't I doing that? It's a great blessing we get to do in coming together and just encouraging each other and stirring each other up. You know, challenging each other in the things of the Lord. That's what we should be doing. Look at what we read in verse 16. They they stood in their place according to their custom, according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood received from the hands of the Levites. For there were many in the assembly who had not, and catch that, there were many in the assembly who had not sanctified themselves. Therefore, the Levites had charge of the slaughter of the Passover lambs for everyone who is not clean to sanctify them to the Lord. For a multitude of the people, many from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, all the areas outside of Jerusalem and Judah, they had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. But notice that here in the middle part of verse 18, but Hezekiah prayed for them saying, May the good Lord provide atonement for everyone. Who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his sanctuary. And in verse 20, and the Lord listened to Hezekiah and he healed the people. Oh, how I love that. This is so good. It goes on to say in verse 21. So the children of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with great gladness and the levites and the priests praised the lord day by day singing to the lord accompanied by loud instruments what we see in this passage is very interesting because the nation had been in such decay the people hadn't been coming regularly to the lord the temple had been closed down they weren't coming uh, and, and cleansing themselves offering up sacrifices for sin before the lord so they were ceremonially unclean which meant that they weren't typically permitted to even come to the temple or even celebrate and observe this feast 
They were defiled. And so they had to go through a cleansing ritual. But here's all these people coming saying, well, man, things have been shut down. We haven't had opportunity to do this, but we've got our heart just full of praise to the Lord and we want to come and honor him in this. They had a desire to follow through and celebrate the work of God in their lives. And so they go for it anyways. And Hezekiah saw this. He's like, oh man, this this usually is a bad thing. But he prays. He recognizes their hearts were in the right place and so he asked God to provide a covering for them despite them not purifying themselves in the prescribed way. And how great is this? The Lord listened and healed them. God covered them. God showed grace and mercy to them. God didn't come down on them for not following the letter of the law. God rather saw the zeal in their hearts to participate in this feast and celebrate God's goodness. Understand something here today. God's not worried about an outward form of religion. He cares more about what's in the heart. And God doesn't want anyone to miss out on the joy of coming to him based on an outward or religious requirement. God looks at the heart. He's got much more grace than we often think. And I think about how often people have felt maybe ostracized from church because they didn't really live up to what they felt they needed to be as a Christian. Or they didn't have the right look. How many, how many times, I mean, me growing up in the, you know, long time ago, um, growing up, going to church, and it was like, oh, men, you know, men can't have long hair. Not a lot of church. Can't wear jeans, you know. Can't, you gotta, ladies, you gotta, you know, have the, you can't have the earrings or lipstick. You can't have all this outward adornment. You gotta put on, you know, the best clothes that you've got. And, and hear, even hearing people, you know, that you invite to church saying, Oh, well, nah, I, oh man, nah, I can't go to church. I don't have anything to wear. It's like, what? Well, you do have something to wear. Just maybe you don't have to wear what you think you need to wear, but you got something to wear. Just come as you are. But yet you see how many times people felt like they couldn't come because they didn't, you know, mount up or, or look the part, look right on an outward level. And yet how much did we fail to see that God's not looking at the outside appearance. He's looking at the heart. And how many people have been kept out from what God has because they've had things turned around? And how we need to take this to heart ourselves because we can easily tend to get a little legalistic over certain matters and make an issue over things that don't need to be made an issue of. Are we sure that we're not putting more upon people than what God would put on them? Because I see what we're reading here, and I'm just like, would I have been one of those people saying, oh, you can't come? No, you, no you're no, you messed up, man. You got to get right first. You can't come. Just, you know, wait it out. Maybe come next year. Right? How many of us would have maybe taken that approach? But yet, here's the Lord saying, oh, man, yeah, I'll cover them. Because I see their heart. I see their heart and they want to come and worship. This situation reflects the biblical principle that faith takes precedence over ritual. Jesus had to combat that so many times in his own ministry because it was the religious establishment that always came and, and, and tried to you know, find problems with what Jesus was doing. That he wasn't doing things more right on an outward level. Well, Jesus had to keep confronting them and saying, man, you get so caught up in in religious, you know, practice, 
and outward practice and you're failing to see what's really going on in the heart. He had to call them on it so many times. John, in John's Gospels, chapter 7, verse 22, Jesus says, Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath? If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? See, Jesus comes on the scene, he starts doing some great work, and yet the religious establishment is is saying, well, you can't do it that way. It's the Sabbath. You can't do work on the Sabbath. Jesus is like, don't you see that we're doing a good work here? That people are being made whole? And you'd rather observe a religious practice than see a life be right with the Lord? Do we follow in that sometimes, in that same attitude. I'm so glad that when people are not getting everything right in an outward way, that God's more concerned about their heart. Maybe, you know, the new Christian comes on the scene and they're praying up a prayer and it's just like way all over the place and it's weird and you're like, whoa, man, we don't say that in prayer. No, we don't use those words. Oh my goodness. Are we quick to just kind of cast a judgment? Are we just like going, oh, praise the Lord, man. It's so good to see a new convert just reaching out to the Lord and praying. Do we get caught up in all the outward things or, or maybe they're worshiping weird? Are we just like, oh man, we better really pull them aside and bring them under control. Or we're just like, man, God sees the heart. He's just seeing this, this person that's just has experienced the goodness and the grace of God and they're just giving it over to the Lord the best that they know how. Because God is every bit as pleased when their hearts are devoted to Him in all that they do. You know, I read this great story of um, Pastor John Corson uh, along these lines who, you know, in the late 70s, uh, he was ministering to a group Outside his church, he's the pastor of Applegate Christian Fellowship in Oregon. And in the late 70s, he's ministering to this group of pot growers in the Applegate Valley. And they had this huge, you know, treehouse community. And he would go there and visit with them and share the gospel to them, right? And then in this massive move of the Spirit, they all turned to Christ and they became born again. So he called for them to come and get baptized. And they did. They all gathered together at Yale Creek, stark naked. This is the late 70s, remember, okay? All right. Now, not John Corson. No, he's clothed. But the rest of the people, they come. And so John's got this option. What does he do? Does he tell them, oh, guys, wait, no, don't go back home. Get, some, get a bathing suit on. Get a robe. Do something. But no, man. No. He just baptizes them right then and there and as they are. And that night, they gathered together and they, they burned up all their pot in a huge bonfire and uh, a week later recovered. But... Many of them, many of them, you know, still just worshiping at Applegate Valley or Applegate Christian Fellowship, some of them went on to become pastors. But you see, I just love that attitude of John Corson where he's just like, eh, you know what? God sees their heart, man. They may not have it all together on an outward level, right? But God sees the heart. And so for us, that message rings true again for us. Mercy over mandate mercy over mandate that's the way that god displays this and that's what he's exercising here in our passage well verse 22 
And Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Lord. And they ate throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. Then the whole assembly agreed to keep the feast another seven days, and they kept it another seven days with gladness. Uh, That's great. These people come. They may not be ready at outward level, but they come. God accepts them. They worship. And they're just like, this is so good, man. Let's just keep going. Let's not stop. And they go another seven days. They're just so excited to be back on track with the Lord. Do we have that same kind of drive and excitement in worshiping God? Are we gathering and just like, oh man, this is so good just to come and hear from the Lord and worship the Lord? Or are we more concerned, you know, watching our our watches, wondering how long this bozo is going to go today? Or are we just like, man, this is so good to be here, just worshiping God and hearing from the Lord? Because I, yeah, thank you. All right. All right. That's not... Let's not get personal here now, but you see, like these people, we should be looking to press in more and more with the Lord and just be enjoying God. That's what we get to do here today. We get to enjoy God. And it's not just reserved for Riverside Calvary Chapel. I mean, there may be a greater anointing here. Yes, of course, but not just reserved for Riverside Calvary Chapel, but not just reserved for church in general or on Sundays, but every day. Are we just taking time to enjoy God? Just being a worshiper of the Lord where we're saying, oh, well, Lord, I've only got you know, five minutes for prayer time or five minutes for devotions today. Or are we just continuing on in that mode of just saying, I just want to be lifting up my heart before the Lord in thanks and praise and just enjoying God wherever I am and in whatever I'm doing because you will be filled with joy and gladness as you do. And these people are experiencing just that. Well, let's wrap it up here. Verse 24 to the end of the chapter it says this for hezekiah king of judah gave to the assembly a thousand bulls seven thousand sheep and the leaders gave to the assembly a thousand bulls and ten thousand sheep and a great number of priests sanctified themselves the whole assembly of judah rejoiced also the priests and levites all the assembly that came from israel the sojourners who came from the land of israel and those who dwelt in judah so there was great joy in jerusalem for since the time of solomon the son of david king of israel there had been nothing like this in jerusalem then the priests the levites arose and blessed the people and their voice was heard and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place to heaven there was great joy in jerusalem why because they got back on track with what god had for them there's that's always the way it's going to be when you are taking time to follow the lord to obey the lord to spend time with the lord you're going to experience joy you may not always be in joyous circumstances, but the joy of the Lord is never conditional upon that. Remember that. Whatever you're going through, God wants to be right there with you. Just yield your heart to Him. Look to Him. Call out to Him. And you can experience joy in each and every situation as we spend time with the Lord. Well, it, do we have our worship team around? Is there? Did they go? Okay, worship team, are you here? Oh, they're here, okay. Come on up, worship team. Listen, um, just in closing, let me just share a few application points here for us from our message today, and then we're gonna just respond to the Lord, definitely worship. First of all, come to the Lord and give to the Lord out of a willing heart. Don't do anything out of a sense of duty or obligation because the Lord is looking for willing and cheerful givers. Secondly, are you taking the time to remember what the Lord has done for you? Are you celebrating Him for it? Don't neglect those times of worship. Don't neglect times where, you know, and like I say, we do communion once a month here. 
But let let not that not let that not be the only time you do it. Give remembrance to the Lord for all He's done for you. Do that daily. Thirdly, remember God's called us to be the runners in this land, inviting people to come and experience the blessings of God, be participating in that great commission. And lastly, turn to God, and He will turn to you. He is gracious and merciful. You're never too far gone. So let's keep on with a heart of joy in worship and praise of our great God. Let's stand together, and let's indeed do just that.